Hello and welcome to Euphoria, a podcast all about the great glam and garish from Eurovision past. My name is Roland Bodnam and as ever, I am joined by a woman who, rumour has it that her preferred seduction technique is sidling up to someone at the bar and gently whispering to their ear, take me to your heaven. It's... <laughs> It's Isabel Chilman. How do you know that? <laughs> I have my sources. That's uh, 100% correct. Uh, hi, Isabel. How are you doing? Uh, I'm absolutely fantastic. And by the way, that technique works 100% of the time. So welcome to the show, a show where we uh, discuss all things Eurovision and take a look into a event uh, through the mm. history of really all time, all the time that matters, basically. All, the only time that matters. Yeah, nothing pre-Eurovision we care about yep absolutely didn't, didn't make any effect didn't, on anything didn't did happen it? uh so let's uh, begin the podcast in the same way we do every podcast uh and actually slightly special today i'm, I'm a bit excited because we start the episode with uh, opening a bottle of wine mm. and uh i today had a little saunter uh outside of our offices where we work and found uh, a lovely uh, wine shop uh, at lunchtime where a wonderful woman uh showed me around some wines offered me a free glass of wine which was lovely i accepted oh. and took me on a tour of uh, some interesting european wines so oh i, I thought have... you were gonna say something else no. then <laughs> She took me on a tour of her body. But, <laughs> no, she didn't. Uh, but if she did, I would I would go back. Um, so uh, she uh, recommended me a lovely glass of Krasno from Slovenia. Slovenian yeah. wine. It's, uh, it's wow. actually a Sauvignon Blanc uh, from Slovenia. So I had a lovely lunchtime, walked in, walked out with the bottle, feeling very happy for myself, uh, and then immediately looked at the bottle and realised... It's a screw top. Bloody hell, you can't trust him with anything, honestly. It was the one thing I forgot. I explained to her that I have a podcast. because you had that glass of wine and then you got lost <laughs> in her eyes, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, I know. She was just offering me also so much wine and it was... Uh, it was. I just. I just got distracted. It was one thing. But anyway, we've done this before and some people don't mind the little screw top that thing. Noise. Should we have a go? Mm, Here we go. It's not satisfying. Oh, that was satisfying <laughs> as hell. <laughs> Ooh. That was a really good... Uh, yeah, I like that. The Slovenians know how to do a, a screw top. <laughs> Sounds weird. Oh, good Ooh, glug. It's like a very, yeah. Uh, cheers. cheers. Boop. Oh, that's far too drinkable. <laughs> it's very, far too very quaffable. See, this is, if we are going on to whites this series... Yeah, I know. Uh, there's going to be no problems like last series where <laughs> you'd have four bottle, like four glasses and I'd have half of one. <laughs> this is going to go down very nicely, thank uh, you. There we go, very nice. Uh, okay, let's get underway with... Eurovision news! So there's been uh, a little bit of Eurovision news this week uh, and the news is that France has revealed plans for a Melody Festival and scale selection process for Eurovision 2018. Oh. Uh, so the French broadcaster France 2, or as they say, de, <laughs> uh, has revealed that it will be having a public selection for its entrance to Eurovision this year after coming below 15th five year out of the last seven. Uh, <laughs> before they were doing, uh, they decided for the public, basically. They chose uh, who would be entering. Mm, um, yeah, this is the problem that we've experienced with the B before as well, yeah, haven't we? Yeah. Over in the UK, when the... I feel like when the option gets completely taken away from the public, it doesn't go so well. No, you need a you need a public decision making. So it's not yet quite clear how 
uh, what the scale of the 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 um, show will be, um, whether it will be a sort of Eurovision, you decide one night thing, or a uh, many month long Melody mm. Festival and scale thing. They said they're going to uh, find people from lots of different regions of France and bring Great. them all together. Um, and a tweet that they put out advertising saying you know you should try out for it uh, had lots of shots of big stadium and stuff like that so it seems like they, they might go big on it so if you're a french singer with aspirations of uh, singing at eurovision do make sure uh, you enter so that is a little bit of news i'm still impressed that we have some news there's some you know someone's writing stuff that we <laughs> that we're reading well yeah i mean it's it's not, it turns out it's not just us that talk about Eurovision all Well, year no, round. there are some proper websites. As that, Jon said. <laughs> it's a year-round thing. It's a year-round thing. As we learned from, days. from Jon. Speaking of Jon, uh, oh. I have some any other business. Um, uh, we had a really, one of my favourite tweets that we've had in a long time is from <laughs> uh, our fan, uh, fan favourite, Jame, I think it is. J-A-I-M-E. Apologies if that's uh, pronounced incorrectly who uh, referred to uh, Jon Ola uh, in reference to our last episode of the podcast as Daddy Jon, which I absolutely <laughs> fucking love. And I think we should adopt on this podcast for referring to Jon for mean, whenever we want. One day I would love to call him Daddy, sure. I don't know <laughs> if that time has come yet. Um, maybe just... I don't in, want to scare him off. In my head, whenever anyone says Jon, I'll just go, Daddy Jon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but thank you for that tweet. It made me smile an awful lot. Oh, and on on just on the same note, mm. well, not on the same note, on a note, on a note, on another note. Um, if anything sounds like we haven't quite caught up with you, it's because we've had to record this one a bit earlier. Yeah, I've gone to Copenhagen. I've Roland's gone to another country. We're doing again. that time traveling <laughs> thing again. So Roland's in Copenhagen. So we've had yeah. to record this one yeah. a week earlier than it's been sent yeah. out. Yeah. So if you've emailed us or tweeted us or said something even funnier than Jame uh, and we've not mentioned it it's not because we're being ignorant all right it's just that we haven't <laughs> seen it yet because this is in the past give us a chance give us a go mate uh, so we'll do it on third episode yeah but if you do want to get in touch with us you can email us at euphoriapodcast at gmail.com or you can contact us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at EuphoriaCast. Brilliant. That's fairly snappy and smooth. Shall we move straight Lovely on stuff. in to a story? Yes, please. Brilliant. I'm very excited about this one. I'm I am. Rowan's to told me maybe a dozen times how excited <laughs> about his story he is. Uh, so I'm I, very excited well, yeah. too. I don't know why I'm so excited about it. It's just... It's on a scale of one to... The best. World War II, um, how political is it? Mm, it's not that political. It's a little bit of political, mm. um, but it's mm. not that political. Okay. Let me tell you okay. the epic and fabulous tale of Jean-Claude Pascal. Oh. So Jean-Claude Viemino was born on October 24th, 1927. Oh, oh. A while ago. So he was born into a family of wealthy textile merchants, uh, and they all lived just off the coast of North France in an area called Pignochet. Uh, The family owned... Like the general? uh, Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, The family uh, owned a very large estate, which had been passed down through the generations. And the generations had all been very successful in the textile industry, selling... Some people get all the luck, don't they? (laughs) Well, they were very... I want to be born into a wealthy family with (laughs) massive land that I can inherit. They were were skilled at what they did. They sold high-end fabrics to the... 
I'm not. I'm just saying. You're saying I'm not skilled at what I do. <laughs> no, I'm. I. You, I. You, I was never given the option to be skilled at textiles. You're a very skilled podcaster, Isabel, Thank you. and that. <laughs> That's what I'm wanted. sure that will get you a larger state off the north coast of France at some <laughs> point. Um, but they were they sold high end fabrics to fashion houses in Paris and beyond. So mm. very nice. Uh, sadly, uh, Jean Claude's father, uh, Roger Villomino, uh, died when Jean Claude was just 18 months old. Um, it was an event which would stay with him for the rest of his life. Um, later, um, Jean Claude lamented that he had never met his father's eyes, uh, the man who died when I was 18 months old. His mother uh, remained a widow and uh, spent the vast majority of her time in Paris, uh, leaving Jean-Claude to be raised by an English nurse and a German governess. Um, and <laughs> That sounds like a sitcom in the making. <laughs> Hello. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, his mother sort of visited from time to time. And oh. was just like, how are you, Jean? Claude oh and I think you know it was fine he he I'm sure it wasn't well he spent his time wandering around the large property and making friends with other local children I think he you know and I'm sure he's probably his, like crying in empty <laughs> wings of the house I think that sort of thing was done more often back then especially with the wealthy families yeah but it don't mean it was nice my grandma was adopted by a really wealthy woman and ha- was raised by a nanny mm. Uh, mm. and she had weird like emotional issues oh, okay. I mean still does to a certain extent <laughs> she's wonderful but it ain't the best well let's see how Jean-Claude handles it shall we okay. <laughs> grandma's done really well don't worry about my grand by the way she's amazing <laughs> she's, yeah uh, so the intention was for Jean-Claude to join the family business and one day uh, take it over uh, and maintaining the long line of expert textile designers. Uh, so he began his education and, and, and went on to secondary schooling in 1938 in a town called Compagne uh, and finished it in Paris. So that was obviously uh, a very tumultuous time in uh, Europe and France um, in particular. That was a time when uh, war was occurring. Uh, mm. If you didn't know, uh, a war called World War Two, the Second World so War. So when I said from one to World War Two, how political is this? <laughs> no, because this I'd is... I'd hit the nail right on the head, hadn't I? <laughs> well, we, we, Psychic we'll, is we'll see, we'll see. So, um, so at this point, France actually fell to the Nazis uh, and they, uh, France fell to the Nazis during Jean-Claude's education and um, it rather changed the family's plans for the business and Jean-Claude's plans for his future career. By 1944, the Nazis' grip on Western Europe was weakening, and Jean-Claude, intent on doing anything he could to defend his homeland, and despite being a year too young to join the army at just 17, he faked his identification and joined the second armed division of General Leclerc. This particular division would be assigned the task of liberating the city of Strasbourg, which was a dramatically symbolic strong point for whoever has held it over the years. Uh, So Jean-Claude and his fellow soldiers marched forward and swore that they would fight until the tricolore was flying over the cathedral in Strasbourg. And that's exactly what happened. Jean-Claude was among the first men to enter the newly liberated city and marched in while some of the Nazis were still retreating from the town. Um, For his efforts in the military, Jean-Claude was awarded the Croix de Guerre, or the Cross of War, which is a medal honouring acts of heroism involving combat with the enemy. So all that at just the age of 17. 
Jesus. What, what have you done by then? <laughs> I, like, I think... It's just... I'd, I mean, I'd worked out every bar in Halifax you could drink in underage. Cool, cool. I just started playing guitar. So, you um, know, we all have our own achievements. Yeah, I mean, we probably deserve <laughs> medals too. Yeah, different ones, different medals. Yeah, I'm not saying the same one, mm. but a medal. I'd love a medal. Yeah, I'd yeah. I'd still like a medal. Have you not? Okay, we'll get you a medal. Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so after the liberation, uh, Jean-Claude grew tired of the army uh, and he moved to Paris to become a stylist. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the you know, the perfect career move. <laughs> You hear it all the time, yeah. army to stylist. Yeah, you know, you know, you know. it makes sense. <laughs> Those uniforms are very well fit. I mean, they were very stylish back yeah, in the day. they were. Who was it that designed the Nazi ones? Uh, Hugo Boss. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm. a fact. <laughs> uh, he, uh, Jean-Claude, fit in perfectly amongst the high fashion in Paris. He spent time working at Givenchy, Pinier, Dior and Hermes. Hermes? Herms? I'm going to say Hermes. 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 Yeah. Uh, so at Hermes, uh, he was one of the inventors. Uh, they have a famous design called carré, which is like bold patterns. Yeah. He was one of the original inventors of their carré design. Wow. Good for him, right? Yeah. Army. Carré. Uh, being kind of an orphan he wasn't an orphan his mum was his mum was around his mum was a bit shit wasn't she <laughs> yeah uh, so also with his rugged good looks and strong physique uh, it meant that he also got a fair amount of work as a model uh, he became a real part of the scene there and he was often seen schmoozing with a lot of the socialites at the time in Paris I, I'm st- I kind of hate him no don't yeah, hate him no, I why do. would you hate him because he represents Mm. like the elite well like come on so is with is any of those oh, so at you'd the minute meet, you'd meet him in chelsea and be like well i'm a model and i also design part-time for yeah, like um, yeah, yeah. for vivian westwood and it was an amazing opportunity because i got the internship through because actually vivian's my godmother <laughs> um, and it was just amazing that she, she really gave me a chance to show yeah. my skills off and, I, I get that like at the minute i've presented him as yeah everything's going his way yeah he's had a very easy life yeah come on john claude uh so prove how, me wrong however for our easily distracted friend uh even this world of modeling and fashion grew tiresome ah oh, he grows tiresome of everything <laughs> i hate this guy no come on come on no, i do <laughs> give, him a give him a chance <laughs> i grew tired of winning medals in the army so i decided <laughs> to go to paris to be a social elite so um he grew he grew tired of, of fashion and the fashion lifestyle and he decided that instead he wanted to design costumes for the theatre. So So Okay. This is where he realized that he was interested in more than just designing costumes. He longed to be on the stage, performing in front of the crowds. It was at this point <laughs> You're right there. I hate him. No, don't. <laughs> I hate him so no, no, don't hate him. No, don't hate him. Don't hate him. <laughs> I love him. Oh uh, no, I've met him. Like mm. I've met, I've met his equivalent. I don't think you know him yet. I don't think you know him yet. Okay. I don't think you know. So it was at that point that Jean Claude Viemino, uh, at the request of his family, who were concerned about having their family name attached to the theatre. <laughs> changed his name to Jean-Claude Pascal. And this change signaled the start 
of his meteoric rise to stardom. He enrolled in stage school in 1949 and made his theatre debut alongside Pierre Renoir and Edwige Fier in La Dame au Camilla. Uh, he follows this play up with another and then and then was spotted by a movie director and asked to star in a film called The Judgment of God. Very quickly, Jean-Claude made a name for himself playing the romantic lead. His characters were seductive, moneyed, well-dressed and strong. So he was really <laughs> acting outside of his comfort zone then, wasn't he? I mean... Not typecast in the lead. I mean, I'm sure he was a really good actor. Like he was, I mean, he was, that's method. He was going method. You play to your strengths, right? You play to your strengths. So he uh, starred in over 50 films over the span of his career, alongside the likes of Anouk Amy, Romy Schneider, and Brigitte Bardot. Mm, Sexy, sexy. Yeah, sexy, sexy. However, as this style of cinema changed in France and uh, his traditional romantic lead character fell out of fashion uh, to make room for the art films of the French New Waves, uh, Jean-Claude decided once more it was time for this strong, elegant, well-dressed leopard to change its spots. Mm. And it was in 1961 that Jean-Claude held his first recital uh, in his new form of a singer. In that same year... Do you think he's ever heard of the phrase jack of all trades, master of none? I think he is an ambitious man who <laughs> likes to turn his hand to new things. He's got a lot of creativity. Yeah. And <laughs> he's got a lot of money, hasn't he? That's what it is. Well, I mean, you know. So, so it was the same year as his very first recital that the Luxembourg National Television Service asked him to represent their country in a competition that at the time was only in its sixth year. It was the Eurovision Song Contest. Hey! Hey, there we go. We got there. We got there. (laughs) We got to the Eurovision Song Contest. So uh, that year, 1961, 10 countries entered the competition and the event was held in the high society capital of Cannes on the Mediterranean coast of France. Interestingly, this was the first time the contest had been held on a Saturday, a tradition which lasts till this day. I don't Ooh. know what day it was held before, but it seems weird to hold it on any other day, right? Friday's like a, fine. Yeah, but you're still at work. Like, you imagine like the amount of like preparation we did for Eurovision this year. We'd be at work doing that. That would be too much. So Jean-Claude Pascal was set to perform with a song written by Maurice Vidalin and composed by Jacques Dattin. And the song was called Nous les Amoureux, which translates as We the Lovers. The subject... Of course it does. Sexy French. Sexy French. Although it's Luxembourg. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) uh, The subject of the song is about two lovers who share a love that society does not accept and denounces the prejudice against them. Is it between a man and a dog? <laughs> uh, it, I mean, maybe if you want it to be. What? <laughs> How do we not find out what the prejudice well, is? Well, so le- here are some of the lyrics. Um, it's true, fools and cruel people hurt us and mess us up, but nothing is more self-evident than love. We, the lovers, we can't do anything about them. They are thousands and we are two, two lovers. But the time of easier nights will come and I'll be able to love you without being talked about in town. It's certain, it is written, we the lovers, the sun shines for us and we sleep on the knees of God. We the lovers, he gave us the right to happiness 
and the joy of being two. If it is about a dog, <laughs> I mean, it's quite intense. Wow. So, uh, oh, should we hear some? Yes. So, um, he was every bit the leading man up on that stage that night. He looked suave as ever in his suit, his hair perfectly quaffed and a real glint in his eye. Uh, I think he's got hints of Don Draper and George Clooney. Uh, okay. Basically, he's, he's just a very uh, beautiful man. Am I going to uh, fall in love now? Am I going to change my mind? Let's, let's have <laughs> Come a look. Li- let's have, oh, that's my Twitter. Let's have a look at Jean-Claude. Let's have a look at Jean-Claude Pascal. Here we go. Les so there we go it was sort of quite understated but he's you know he's standing there i think back then it was a sixth performance i didn't think there was much dancing and lasers and you know well, i don't know how long into it was the um the, the quadruple win year that can't have been long. It was sixty-nine. Uh, it was yeah, about like eight yeah, years. Right. Eight years. Yeah, right. They got sassy. Yeah, yeah. Later on, the sixties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is the start of the sixties. Yeah. His hair looks fake, and well, his face looks like it's made from plasticine. It's not the highest definition. But Jesus Christ, you have a real vendetta about this man. I, don't I know came why I in him. loving this man, and you're just turning this around. And he does look like he's made of plasticine. He's very handsome. As I said, he looks like Dean Martin. He does look like Dean Martin. And he's got a very good... He rolls his R's wonderfully. Uh, So, uh, after all the singers performed, the votes started coming in and Jean-Claude... Smashed the place up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he he smashed something. He burst out of the gates uh, with a string of very high scores from the judges. And from that point onwards, basically no one could really catch up with him. Uh, By the end of the night, his nearest competitor was the United Kingdom... With, with 24 points but he was way out in front with 31 points leaving all the other singers in his dust and so that year eurovision was won by luxembourg making their first win out of actually a fairly surprising and very respectable five wins in total for a very small country mm. yeah, so well done, luxembourg um so later in his life uh, jean-claude did explain that the song written was indeed <gasps> Oh my god, oh my god, please say a dog. Please say it was about him. Why would you want him to have a, <laughs> like a thing with a dog? I, I mean, it doesn't have to be a dog, but like... What do you mean? Just like that it is secretly, and he's like, oh no, actually, yeah, it was about the fact that me and my cousin used to touch each other inappropriately. Like, well, okay, well, am I far off? Okay, all right, well, <laughs> so later in his life, Jean-Claude explained that the song written was indeed about... A homosexual couple. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who had to keep their love hidden in order to protect themselves from being rejected by oh, society. Was he- uh, after this marvellous victory, Jean-Claude maintained his singing career for the next two decades. How long after... Sorry, I keep interrupting. No, I'm very fine. rude. No, no, no. But... No, ask away. I, I like, you know, curious minds. How long... So this was... He won in 61. Yeah, yeah. yeah How yeah. long after he won did he announced that it was about oh that was like much later that was to, like later in his life maybe like 30 years later wow yeah it, he, he didn't write the song the song was written by someone else but he but knew. still he knew at the time yeah. he sang it and, and he still knew that that was and it was genuine I, we've spoken about it before like 
uh, songs that are political but not political like underlying it's very mm. sort of like underwritten this was very much like if you knew you knew i.e if you if you were gay you knew yeah but the vast majority of people who listened to that song would just go oh, that's I a mean, lovely song i'm sat here going like oh my god and like joking about it being about sleeping with a dog but <laughs> that that was all in jest like i yeah obviously no, when no, you no. hear that song now like very clearly sense. it was about it was gonna yeah, be about yeah, a gay couple yeah, yeah. um but that's but amazing though that he he yeah even if i mean i don't know what his sexuality is it doesn't really matter but like the fact that he sang that yeah and in he that knew. age knowing that and yeah. was and then one with it is is that's that's oh, good right there must have been so many tears so after this marvelous and ever so stylish victory uh jean-claude maintained his singing career for the next two decades however he always remained modest and humble about his success you can remain modest and humble when you have a lot of money yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite easy too. so he said i've never been called i've never been what's called a singer i was an interpreter of text and songs now before you say this is really no remember he's I liked him i like i hated him then i started liking him and now i'm hating him again remember he's french and they are very philosophical and mm. imagine imagine don't imagine me saying this imagining a very good looking french man in a suit saying this and being quite genuine about it. I guarantee you, if this was in a bar, not in like West London, but in like Paris, and he was drinking some fancy drink and was talking to you this, you'd, you'd go weak at the knees. I don't know. I'm cynical as fuck, mate. I know, aren't you I? Are. I'm terrible. Even Sorry. with the French, though? I feel like you have some leeway for the French. <laughs> uh, one French. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, I feel like we're just like dropping little hints each episode. This is like the we have it's gonna be we, a series long, well, we do have, like saga of we, teasers. We do have it is like little um little season arcs because we definitely yeah. had a couple of story arcs we last did. season. This season, like you just all it needs is a month break, and then we've got a little like oh. a seed planted for the next arc. Uh, so he remained modest and humble. He said, I've never been what's called a singer. I was an interpreter of texts and songs, and the songs were beautifully written for me. I've never pretended to have an exceptional voice. I was singing not badly because I was like, articulating and expressing myself. I interpreted the interesting words in a poetic expression. Now, I'm sure someone asked him, you know, Ooh, are you a singer or whatever? So that was his... But I feel like yeah, you don't you don't just come out no, with that no, sentence, no, 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 do you? No. But I feel like that's quite nice. He's saying that actually the words that were written for me were always the the key thing, and I interpreted them and sung them in a in a way. It is a bit like wanky, but yeah, it, it was the sixties. Everyone was, it was wanky. Was in the sixties, going over it, guys. Yeah. Um. So he did actually return to the Eurovision Song Contest. He made a second appearance. And it was for the 20th anniversary of his victory, um, not as a sort of guest performer, but he was actually uh, entering the competition once again for Luxembourg. However, this time he only reached 11th place. So we'll just... Uh, that's yeah, why I'm we'll saying not go, to go yeah, back. Never come back. Always, I mean... Uh, bloody, Especially if you've won. Yeah, Lorene learned that this time, no, didn't she? Didn't anyway, so after this, he, he began to step out of the spotlight at last. And <laughs> so even you've turned me cynical now. I was... <laughs> Honestly, it's like a disease. It spreads really quickly. Um, so he decided to step out of the spotlight and turned his multi-talented mind to 
Writing. The one the one thing he hasn't yes, done that one, yeah. On the list. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so he wrote a number of uh, to God, I wish I was rich. I, I like know, right? what a life to have. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I'm gonna do something else. I'm a writer now. Of course you are, babes. All right, crack on. Well he wrote he wrote a number of books, a number of mysteries and some history novels in his state of sort of semi-retirement i guess he was mysteries mysteries oh so this i'm interested in was, was this was this in the 70s uh, no in the 90s oh. mysteries in the 90s why i still give it a read why are you interested I, in mysteries in the 70s because i really like trashy old pulp fiction Ooh, interesting like crime novels wow. mystery novels the work the like the trashier the better it's all about like a guy drinking whiskey and then yeah some, some ha- mm. redhead dame walks into his well, office from and, the like, sound of his speech it sounds like you'd love it it sounds like really like you know oh, long-winded trash, and well trashy yeah. yeah all right uh so he here, here are a couple of examples of titles uh so uh some of the mysteries and history mysteries and histories Ooh. uh he wrote i'm sure someone said that at some point but it sounded great coming out of my mouth uh, <laughs> so some of the uh books he wrote included titles such as the basket of crabs i'm reading that <laughs> and the rainbow of november Ah, uh, maybe that's me uh, you're the rainbow. You're the rainbow of all year round, mate. Yay! Oh, I love you. Oh, that's made my day. Oh, mate. Uh, the final, the final book he wrote was published in 1991, and it was a historical account of a very close acquaintance of King Louis the Thirteenth, entitled "Lover of the King" about the Duke of Lunes. Ooh. Yeah, um, I didn't realise King Louis had. Uh, a, a male lover but apparently he did i think i did know that yeah so jean-claude passed away on may 5th 1992 in actually relative obscurity at the age of uh, 62 um there's so young yeah and well yeah i guess it is i was gonna 92. say oh in that age but that was 1992 it's recently yeah, yeah. um he remained throughout his life single unmarried and he bared no children um Aww. No, I now I feel now can, can we start <laughs> the podcast again? And I'm not going to be mean at the beginning because now I feel really bad I because I think that actually he probably was a really amazing person. And I feel horrible that I was so cynical. Come on, and that he like I mean I'm going to guess from this then that he basically basically like lived his life secretly gay. Uh, so there's there's things out there that are. Um, that say he is there's things out there that don't mention it at all um i don't think he ever came out um oh, but f- you know we can interpret his singing and his books and you know his lifestyle however we want but even if he's not i would think that he you know the fact that he sung that song and the fact that he wrote a book about you know people who are living in those circumstances uh, throughout history uh, i think says a lot so in accordance to his last wishes, he was cremated and his ashes were spread in the bay just next to where he grew up, oh. which is lovely. Uh, he's, he, he knows how to tell a good story, even with his own life, right? He's, he's very well told. During his lifetime, Jean-Claude, Jean-Claude these are some great uh, other awards that I feel almost uh, rival his um, war uh, honour. Uh, during his lifetime, Jean-Claude Pascal was elected several, several years in a row as the most elegant man in France. Shut up. Yeah. I want that award. <laughs> I want that award. In France, though. It has to be in France. Yeah, because it doesn't matter anywhere else. No. Nowhere else is elegant. Imagine being the most elegant man 
in France. Like, how many? How much competition is there? A lot. There's a lot of elegant men in France. Oh my God, is yeah. there? His um, his war- everyone. I've, like, I, I think I told you this, but like, my, my friend Kate, mm. who lives in Marseille, mm. literally is surrounded on a daily basis by men who are so attractive yeah. that if you saw them in, in I mean, most other places in the world probably, but definitely if you saw them in England yeah. or even in London, where there's some you, sexy guys, yeah. you would stop in the street and you would have to, or as, the, as our friend Gary puts it, you would have to go for a little lie down. <laughs> like they're that attractive. And she is surrounded by them because everyone's that attractive and yeah. she just doesn't even see it now so yeah Jean-Claude most elegant man several oh, years in a row so I don't know how many but several his his wardrobe was donated to a museum and put on display in 2004 the name of the museum is it's probably my favourite museum I think I've ever heard it is the museum of the shirt and masculine elegance we're going <laughs> where is it let's book tickets it's in, a, it's in a lovely town in France where uh, I'll find it I don't know the name of the town we're going we're going here. museum of the shirt and masculine elegance because you can't have one without the other <laughs> it, it's, it's beautiful oh so, so I'm going to leave you with this quote from Jean-Claude oh. he said my life was a beautiful journey. I've been active my whole life and I've been broadly happy. It's extremely comforting, for example, to take a taxi in the middle of the night and hear the driver tell you, Monsieur Pascal, where are you going? That he even recognises me by my voice. I find it fabulous and it's an extraordinary gift from the sky. Oh, don't, because I'm going to get upset. That is the tale of the fabulous life of Jean-Claude Pascal and I have a new hero. Oh my god! I'm not surprised. I'm. I mean, I genuinely, I, I feel horrendous. No, don't feel horrendous. No, 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 no. no. I mean, what a gem. Because no, because what at that point you thought he has he has nothing. Like everything is going his way. He has nothing to be like. What the fuck does he have to be like sad about or like to have like going against him? And actually, the big the the thing that you feel bad about now is his whole life. He had this thing that. Maybe we don't necessarily. I don't necessarily know we if he was hiding know, it, or I don't necessarily know if he if he was gay. But clearly, he was a passionate. Like. You know, he. You know, at, at the very least, he was he was an ally as well, as you put it. Mm. Um, and he, I think he he sounded kind. He's, oh, what he's a lovely chat. He's it's very obscure. There's not very much about him at all. The vast, in fact, I think almost everything from this I had to translate from like French sites. Um, but you know, we've had a couple. We've had a few now of these stories that you you write it and then you go, how is this not a film? I mean, what, yeah, that's what, a movie. What an life, amazing costume it? drama, right? Oh, Fabulous, like clo- like wow. he wore amazing clothes. He was the most elegant man in France. He was the know? most elegant man in France, for fuck's sake. Anyway, so that is the tale of Jean-Claude Pascal. I had a listen, uh, whilst I was writing it, I put on, on YouTube, there's an album of his. Yeah. And it's really beautiful and kind of really cool. You know, the cool in the way of like Wes Anderson films and they play like a cool French yeah. song. And yeah. I put that on and I was like, this is pretty fucking cool. Like, Aww. if you want to be cool... Like it is my that will be my go to like if I get a girl back I'm like, <laughs> if when if if, if, if. I ever um, Alexa play <laughs> Jean Claude Pascal. Pascal and then I'll just be like oh yeah he's a really obscure French sort of singer actor really clothing designer secretly gay forever I mean there's no there's <laughs> nothing there's no I'm there's not, no links that's there not, I don't totally... you know it's fine <laughs> I'm definitely straight uh, <laughs> let's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um, so that is that's the story. Um, oh, I loved it. Yeah. So we're moving on now to the bit where I attempt to create uh, our own Eurovision song to enter, not just for the UK. If any country out Anyone there is wants listening, it, you can take it. Take it's yours. it. You can sing it yourself. Just as long as I get a credit or just get an invite to Eurovision. Both of us, please. Two. Yeah. Me sorry. Two. Co co-write a credit. Two. Um, two invites to Eurovision if you want to sing our song. Uh, this week, Isabel, I turned to one of my favourite uh, trends in music, uh, which is when a song um, is written in such a way that it means one thing to young people listening to it, mm. and entirely another thing to the sort of teenage adults who listen to it. You know the sort of thing, like what? like you must have like had a song that you loved in your youth and then you listened to again in your adulthood and was like, oh my God, that song was just like totally filth. Uh, to Become One, Spice Girls. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Although I, I, my older brother told me what it meant like when Digby, I was young. Digby, you dirty boy. And whenever I listened to that then I got a really funny feeling in my tummy. Oh no, 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 soundtrack i mean most music actually when yeah. you think about it most like pop music my mum uh, <laughs> there was like cds that i was allowed to listen to that were soundtracks for films that i wasn't allowed to watch when i was a kid because i was the campus was child this? honestly so, so you weren't I was, allowed to watch grease no i was allowed to listen so this is like when i was young so my mum had the oh, dirty yeah. dancing soundtrack oh, shit. and the grease soundtrack yeah. which i listened to so much that I knew every lyric, but I was not allowed to watch no the film because I wasn't film. old enough. And then one day when I was maybe eight, my friend Sarah, who was a neighbor and she was maybe 12 or 13, she came, I wanted to like play out with her. And she was like, oh, well, I'm just gonna watch um, Dirty Dancing. If, if that's, if, if you wanna come watch that. And I asked my mum and she, and I remember saying to my mum, can I go watch Dirty Dancing at Sarah's house? And she kind of paused and mm. went, um, <laughs> Yes, but if you don't understand something, don't ask Sarah. Just ask me instead. Just wait and then ask me. Well, that's good of her. And there was loads of stuff I didn't understand. The whole abortion bit. Just thought yeah. she was a bit poorly. <laughs> did you ask your mum or did you just go, she's ill? No, I just went, she's ill and yeah. left it until that's, I watched I mean, it again as a teenager. And then I'm like, oh no, she had, she had, had a, a proper yeah, abortion. Proper abortion, yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, so anyway, so this is one of, well... I would like to think one of those songs, okay. Isabel. Um, Double entendres. Yeah. If I'm honest, though, and I think you'd agree, I'm not necessarily the king of subtlety. Uh, no. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it's up to you to judge and listeners, you can judge too. Um, but I may have gone slightly too far hang, ham, hammering the metaphor home. But I have written a song and that's the main thing that counts. That's the only thing that counts. <laughs> this is a song, Isabel, called... Ooh la la. Here we go. I'm in. She's got the moves to make you go. She's got that certain kind of flow. Kind of walk that makes you want to go. Ooh la la. As a fire you barely can believe. In a smile you feel the joie de vivre. All of her just makes you want to go. Ooh la la. Now's the time to make that final move. Time to finally help her find her groove. Now the feeling's feeling so brand new. Wanna make it go ooh la la with you Ooh, she makes it go ooh la la In the club she goes ooh la la With the boys she goes ooh la la Time to make it go ooh ah Put 
That was <laughs> Ooh La La, a song about the female orgasm. <laughs> There is well, you've gone a bit red. I was oh god, I was gonna say I was screeching through that, but that sounds I mean, that's too no, close to the bone. You weren't having an ooh la la. Oh no, <laughs> I initially wanted to write a song that was kind of half in French and half in English, and I got as far as the lines joie de vivre and then ooh la la, and I got lost because I suddenly went, Oh, ooh la la could be a name for. Yeah. You know, and uh, but then there is a bit of a mix, right? So, so you know, there's the lines that you know she's moving closer to her ooh la la, uh, <laughs> which is what I'm going to call mine from now on. <laughs> yeah, but then there are a couple of other lines that don't necessarily well could happen. So lines like, uh, well, like oh she made to go ooh la la fine. In the club she goes ooh la la. Oh, Rudy, have you ever ooh la la in a club? <laughs> I'm pleading a fifth on that. <laughs> So, um, yeah, what did you think? I'm kind of blown away oh. by the whole experience. <laughs> Do like, you, is it, could it be performed at Eurovision? I think I'm speechless for the first time in my life. What, what, are, your, what, are, you, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? I just heard you sing a song about orgasm. <laughs> hi, Mum, if you're listening, Hi. Hi, Reverend. Hi, Reverend. Have <laughs> <laughs> uh, I gone bright red? Yeah, yeah, you have. I can feel my face. Did I go to. So, my whole. Oh I'm, my God. It's not that subtle, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> it is, it's as subtle as a brick, mate. Like. <laughs> Jesus. I. So. I feel like. I feel as though. What I okay, so let me try and get words out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah, here we go. I'm listening. I think yeah. A. Yeah. There are certain lines in that <laughs> that would prevent you from getting oh, into no. Eurovision. Uh-huh. Yeah. When her hands go down to a rulala. I'd have to have Yon would have to have words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think there would be questions raised. <laughs> Even if we ignore that, though, okay, I'm gonna ignore that. I'm gonna pretend it absolutely flies through. Yeah. It's totally. They don't mind. Fine. It's fine. They put it in. We all have a new la la. Uh, the lyrics, yeah, incredible. Oh, good, good work. Incredible. Good like, work. I've never. I'm still a bit shaken up by the whole experience. But the lyrics, great. Yeah. I think you could have done better with the backing and track. I struggled I think it this week. let you week. down there. I struggled this week. So, in my head, 
I'm I keep swaying between that it either needs to be way poppier, yeah, way poppier, yeah, yeah, yeah. so way not dancey in the least, pop to the extreme, yeah. or it needs to be more cool. Oh. So a bit more um this year's Sweden. Yeah. Robin Bankston. Yeah. Okay, first <laughs> anyway. challenge of the season. <laughs> what? No, am I redoing that as well? Yeah. Because I still haven't redone Eurogirl from last season. Well, bloody get off with it, mate. <laughs> okay. No, I'm setting you this now. It's happened. I'm setting you this challenge. Yeah. Those lyrics to a different melody. Oh, fucking hell. That's really hard. Well, you can change the lyrics slightly. Okay, I can move But around. like the same... The sentiment of ooh la la meaning. The sentiment of that with the joie de vivre and the ooh la la yeah. and the reach, you know. So. Ooh la la, Isabel. What ooh score la la. would you give? Ooh la la. Um, Remember you give little, last, little gave last week some, a seven. I've forgotten what it was. Exactly. Here we are. If it had a better melody, <sighs> I think that could be up there with mm. the, the Tippi- Mano Mans. Tippity tops. And top of tips. This, of, uh, of this podcast. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it could really Back be up there with the peak. Yeah. It doesn't though. Yeah, no, I know. So, I, don't wheat. beat her Wheat, eight. Wheat. Eight. eight. Okay, eight points. Okay, fine. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, I'm. You okay don't seem with... happy. No, I'm. Uh, no, you know what? I no. Yeah, I don't seem happy. I'm not happy with myself Good. more than anything because I know. But it was late. Speak to Anthony. I... He'll help you out with it because he said you overproduce your songs. He's a very busy man, though. I'm sure if you said, How help do I me, make this song <laughs> help me better. Yeah. He'll give you some. I tips. can't. Like it was like eleven. I can't ring him at eleven thirty on a. No, not now. Tuesday night, I mean for the Wednesday future. Night. Yeah, I know. I will. If you, <laughs> if your, if your opinion dis- differs from Isabel and you fucking love that song and you don't want me to change a thing and you think I'm just really great, uh, then give me an email or just hang out with me. Do you want to meet up with me? Cool, let's go He's for a drink. So sad and desperate, honestly. <laughs> don't, guys. He's really, really not cool. Just... Don't encourage this behaviour. <laughs> you can email us though <laughs> at euphoriapodcast at gmail or you can contact us on Twitter. Our handle is at euphoria cast we bloody love hearing from you i'm yeah. really looking forward to now this is kicking off again to getting those lovely emails in and seeing photos of your lovely smiling faces and i get really excited about it like oh, i miss i'm really excited about the first email from reggie yeah think, man like, Come i on, reggie. think about reggie <laughs> far too often uh, yeah no i mean it's crazy maybe it's every other brilliant. day she and she's doing great doing a doctor thing that's why i think about her all the time i thought about chance i'm so proud of her and I, thought, I don't even know her i thought about chance the other day in brooklyn don't know what don't know what they're chance. doing like don't even know if dude what are you up to yeah yeah, yeah. but um but doing great Aww. i'm sure hey and all the other listeners we've got other doctors another doctor in idaho oh sorry if that's wrong and other people all over the world so thank you all and it is very exciting Hearing from all of you. So, we're going to end the podcast in the He's s- had three glasses of wine. He's gone. We're going to end the podcast in the same way we end every podcast this season. Uh, with the question. Isabel. Mm-hmm. Cocktails with Conchita or Dancing with Dana? Oh, my God. Dancing with Dana every day, all day, every day. But- I mean, <laughs> um, can that happen? Can we do that? Can we make that happen right now? I don't know, but... We'll find out <laughs> in this season of Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.